Hello and welcome to EDK, episode 14. Did I count episode zero? Is there an episode zero? I can't even remember. Seems like it's been a long time since I started this podcast and it's really only been about... Uh, actually, it's been about eight months. So uh, we've been a couple weeks without any sort of like release and... Um, you're probably wondering why that was. Well, I've been trying to do every every Monday, but every once in a while my anxiety and my depression gets the best of me and makes it so that I don't have a lot of energy. So because I have three kids and responsibilities and a job <clears throat> currently, uh, and I do, I do um, remote work, so it's at home, but that leaves me with little time sometimes. And honestly, there, there are times that I have to just unwind because life is life can be very stressful and life can be taxing and uh, I need the ability to unwind otherwise I I end up like really really dark and depressed and there's a few things that I like to do to unwind um, you know one of them is play video games something that I've been pretty good at most of my life and, and when I say pretty good at I mean I mean probably... Like if you've played games with me, if I if you've played games with me seriously, you realize that like I I'm pretty damn good at video games, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn um, because it's really it's one of those things that I I wish it was like super important. I wish it made me like millions of dollars, and I was able to be like an esports champion and stuff like that. But the time that I was really 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 good at video games back in like Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two and Call of Duty Four days. Like, esports wasn't really a thing. Um, in fact, I even think now it's not really super duper a thing. I think it's very it's very selective who has the ability to do that. And I think most of the people that are able to be in esports are people that are able to afford, like, $1,000, like, super duper, like, thousands of thousands of dollars for their computer. And then you have to be hooked up somewhere, some way. Like, you have to be networked into the, the pipeline and, like... If you're not that, there's plenty of people that are very good at video games. I play against them all the time. You know, if if you know, playing Battlefield, you watch people do things that are just like un, un like unheard of, and you're like, how did that person do it? And you watch some streamers, and you kind of get an idea. And I've definitely fallen off a little bit from my like normal reflexes, but that's part of, part of the reason for that is I don't treat it like a job. Video games for me are supposed to be unwinding. So the moment I feel myself getting too like triggered or or put on tilt to use a poker ter- uh, poker term the moment i feel like it's too much i have to step away from it and, and thankfully you know i'm i'm in a position where video games generally are are a fun time for me you know and and i and i don't i try not to play them as much as i used to i used to play them basically all the time now it's a couple hours here and there maybe a night and you know play with friends just trying to have fun um, if you are a super duper triggered gamer and you're listening to this, uh, find a game that is fun for you. It's not that important. It's literally a digital world. And yeah, and, and I understand like if you're playing something competitive like Overwatch or Call of Duty, how it can feel, feel like it's so important because that's, that's what they want you to feel, right? You know, Activision, Blizzard, um, EA, you know, when they make a game, they want you to feel like it's something that you have to be good at, you know, playing Apex Legends, you know, oh, it's like super duper important, right? No. And that's why I don't play Apex Legends, because it feels super duper sweaty. That's one of the reasons I don't play a lot of Call of Duty. I didn't buy Call of Duty last time it came out, 
Um, I just played the, the Warzone, and when it started to feel like it wasn't fun, I was done with it. And then I got my 120 gigs back, or whatever, how much it is on my system. Anyway, it's a little bit nerding out video game style. If you're uh, listening to the podcast, my guess is you're a nerd. Um, but the other thing that I do to unwind is I sing karaoke. I know, amazing. On EDK, it only took us 14 episodes to really have an episode about karaoke in general. And I want to tell you my story with karaoke and why it's so important to me. Because I don't think a lot of people know that. Um, the story of karaoke for me starts with the, with the story of music in general. For, for my life. Um, as I was growing up, uh, I had a couple of different influences when it came to my musical taste. Um, the first one was my dad, because he listened to a lot of that kind of like old school, well now it's old school, but then it was new <laughs> It was new stuff, 80s rock and 70s rock, and he was, he was really into things like Moody Blues, and he was really, like, he loved Hall and & Oates, and, uh, and a lot of those type of bands. And he would have the radio on. And, and back then the radio didn't didn't suck terribly like it like it eventually did. But he would have the radio on and in small town Whitehall, you know, we'd be driving around and maybe into Muskegon and he'd have, you know, the, the songs on and I, I would always find myself singing along to the songs, especially the ones that would play that would play a lot. And at a certain point in my childhood, probably like 10 or 11 years old as my, as my voice actually started to develop, one of the things that I always liked to do was be able to sing the song in a, in the very specific way that the singer was singing it. So, you know, obviously you have many different styles of music out there and, and for 80 songs, it was no different. Um, you would, and, and the nice thing about 80 songs and 60 songs and 70 songs is that they were simple enough to be able to usually follow vocally. Now, there were some hair metal bands and stuff like that, and that would be way out of my range, right? You know, if you start playing some ACDC, um, the, the vocal style of ACDC is so much out of the way that I normally sing. I'm, I'm a pure singer. I try to match the pitch perfectly. And I found myself as I started to get older, especially as I got in my teenage years and went through puberty, um, <clears throat> I didn't really have that, those cracking years that a lot of, especially a lot of males do where, you know, when you're, when your balls drop a little bit and you, you go through puberty, sometimes you have kind of squeaky voice. I was never that person. Now my voice did deepen and has, has gone, has gotten a lot deeper over the years, even as I've been an adult, but I never went through the squeaky voice time and it allowed me to kind of sing in a way, especially when I was in the car or I was listening to something, I could match pitch pretty easily. And I didn't realize that that wasn't something that everybody could do. Um, because I didn't have a, I didn't have a frame of reference other than myself. I thought because I did it, obviously everybody else can do it. Um, kind of fast forward into my teenage years, uh, my mid teenage years, so like 14, 15, 16 years old. Um, I had been in band for a long time, played trombone, didn't really like it, mostly because it wasn't really that much fun for me. And like, I liked the people in it so much that I wanted to stay in it. Like a, a lot of my lasting friendships 
those people were also in band. All, a lot of my very close friends, super duper in band. And we were in, we were for most of high school as well. But one of the things that I started to realize was that I didn't have that, I didn't have that, uh, that passion for band that I, that I was starting to develop for singing. And, uh, probably 15 or 16 years old, I don't know exactly when, but there was a talent show and that was at the White, uh, the White Lake Playhouse, um, which is still there and it's been re- renovated. It's actually pretty nice. I've been in there within the last year and it's, it's awesome. Also very haunted, but we'll talk about that at some other point, if maybe, <laughs> if, if you want to, the haunting of White Lake Playhouse. But, um... We used to have our talent shows there for high school, and it's it's a, a modest venue. I think it seat, seats maybe 300, 400 people at most. Decent stage. It was very, it felt very old back then, though. Um, I don't know exactly when it was built, but it really hadn't been updated recently. When when we had talent shows there in the 90s and into the 2000s, I graduated in 2003. So this. This would have been my sophomore or junior year, probably late sophomore year. And I did two things in that talent show that was different than than kind of my normal run-of-the-mill type of traditional life. Um, and they were they were stretches. They were they were they were step out of my boundaries, get out of the zone, like try something new. And one of them was I was a part of a band play trombone in it, um, called Slow Motion Bedpost, and we were kind of a pseudo-ska band, and it, it was fun, but it wasn't super serious, but it was fun, like, we, we spent time on it, um, to make a, a song, and we, we, I think we played a Less Than Jake song, um, Less Than Jake being a 90s and early 2000s ska band, so we played that song, but the other thing that I did was I sang Frank Sinatra's New York, New York, and... When I got on stage and sang it, it was the first time that I really felt electrified by something creatively that I was doing. Um, I felt the energy of the moment, and it was something where I had I had the nerves of performing in front of people, but I had performed in front of people before doing other things, so I was able to quell those nerves and push them back and not worry about them and I knew after I'd sang the song so many times to myself you know in, in like using my mom's uh, or dad's I can't remember specifically whose it was but but using their their sound system and, and listening to it and playing it and then singing to it and then singing to it and singing to it and singing it trying to sing it so close and, and so close to the original source right trying to replicate with my voice what I was hearing, like literally taking that information in and then locking it in and then being able to, you know, play it back like a computer in a way. And when I got up there and people responded to it and and they, they thought I did, you know, a decent job. And I remember people, you know, kind of being like, okay, like that's the different thing that he hasn't really shown us, right? Like, that's that's something that's something so far out of left field for this guy who was a soccer player and a band player and 
a nerd, like uh, above all, a nerd, someone who played Magic the Gathering almost all the time, loved playing D&D, you know, doing campaigns with friends. And, and don't get me wrong, I love those things, but the electricity of being on the stage and singing in front of people and having people respond to it was revelatory to me. And um, so much so that the next year, so that this would have been end of so- sophomore year, I'm pretty sure that's when I did the talent show. In junior year, um, I ended up joining choir with Miss Moore in Whitehall. And she's she was like, she was the anti-Broand. Like Broand was the was the uh, the band director, and he was he is like he like sucked the fun out of anything that had to do with band, uh, and it, he kind of killed my love of instru- instruments like what like band stuff like that like playing trombone. I, I was never like a hundred percent into playing trombone. Um, I enjoyed it in a certain respect, but. Like, Broen took whatever little bit of what I cared about with that, and he kind of took it away from me. Just because he was, he he himself, I don't feel like he truly loved music. I feel like he loved being a band director. And that's, that's a big difference for me, right? Like, it's one of the reasons why I tried to be a music teacher out of high school when I went to college. Because I felt like I could do it better than Broen. And I felt like I be I could be more like Miss Moore, and Miss Moore was, she was just a, a ray of sunshine when it came to music. She she loved a lot of different types of music, and you could feel that she enjoyed what she was doing when she was you know, when she was getting us to sing. So in junior year, the first half of the year, I was in just the the regular, you know, run of the mill choir that you didn't have to try out for, and I realized kind of in the middle of that 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 I could do better. And I tried out for the the premier singing, you know, class, which was chamber choir, and I made it in. And I was in chamber choir the end of junior year and through my senior year. And we were we were really good. Like you would have wanted to see us, you would have wanted to hear us. We had we had really good, you know, uh tone and pitch and it just like the songs we did were it just felt like it was right. And I remember just feeling so, so great singing, like just really like it was so much fun and so much fun to be a part of the high end of that. Right. Like to at least for Whitehall. Right. So I was part of the part of the chamber choir. Like I was part of that. And then I was I was in the the play in Hello, Dolly. And I was part of the uh, the uh, the background, the backing, backing singer. I know there's a specific name for them and I can't remember it specific I can't remember it right now but they do have a specific name the the people that just sing and they do a little bit of acting but it's mostly mostly just singing and that was fun but I, I found myself wanting to do more with that with the acting part like maybe trying for a role even though even though like acting was the moon to me at that point like it was completely out out of my wheelhouse um, it may still be even if I think about it now like obviously I've never I've never spread my wings when it came to acting, um, even though it's been something that I've thought about a few times. And and then high school ended, and I find myself I found myself uh, at that time really rudderless. Um, I felt myself kind of being pulled towards the more lazy aspect of the spectrum. I, 
I went to MCC for a few years, but my heart was never really truly in it. I was, I was much happier playing poker with the friends that I had and going over to Danny's house and doing stuff like that. And the one thing that I did enjoy in, in at MCC, especially, was uh, you know I was part of the choir there, but that wasn't that wasn't high end choir. That was just like anybody could be in that choir, which. I'm not trying to be elitist, but you let anybody into a choir, you're going to get people that are some, some are good at singing, some are not, right? And the director tried to blend us as much as possible. And we weren't bad, but we weren't Whitehall's chamber choir good, <laughs> you know? You know, we had people there that were like 40 years old and they had been singing on and off their whole life. Or maybe we had someone who just wanted to start singing. And one of the times that we were together, uh, Antonio would remember this if he's listening to this. We went to uh, do karaoke. And I had never heard of karaoke at this point. Or if I did, if I had heard of karaoke, it wasn't something to me. It wasn't a real thing. It was not something that I ever really thought about. It may have even been a joke. But uh, Antonio, me, and a couple people from our, our, uh, not chamber choir, sorry, from our choir group at MCC, we ended up going to uh, the Village Inn, which no longer exists in in Muskegon. It was off of Apple Avenue. Um, right now, they changed the Village Inn's old building. They changed it into um, uh, a weed shop. <laughs> so it doesn't look anything like it used to. Uh, if you've been in Muskegon for any amount of time, you remember the building uh, because it used to be a Mexican place recently, but it used to be built Village Inn. And it was the first place I ever did karaoke. And it was able to scratch that itch for me of being on the stage and being in front of people and trying to do some, you know, performing for them. And it was, it was really amazing. Um, I don't remember what song I sang. I don't remember what the reaction was. I just remember having a fun time being up there singing for people and years years went by where you know I started doing karaoke at uh, the chamber bar in Whitehall um Zach Gedman was the was the karaoke DJ back then this would have been like late aughts early 2010s we used to go to chamber the chamber bar often when that place opened up they had really good drink specials, and I was drinking a lot back then, especially after um, after my dad died and after I stopped vilifying alcohol for his death, I ended up embracing alcohol pretty pretty heavily. Like, you know, go get drunk, sing some songs. And I started to realize that there were songs that I was really good at, you know, songs that I really enjoyed playing or really enjoyed singing. Uh, like Elton John's Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me. You know, Ken and, I, Ken and I would do Sex is on Fire. I never thought I was good at that song, but I had fun doing it. You know, we'd do some Tenacious D songs. We'd do some Flight of the Concords. You know, and, and, and back in the back in the aughts and the 2010s, the, the karaoke renditions of these songs were oftentimes based on MIDI. Um, if you don't know what that is, that's basically a... a uh, it's like having an electronic synthesized keyboard and like transposing that into this version of what kind of sounds like 
the original song, but it's not. And it's obviously not the original instrumentation. And it doesn't have the same feeling, you know. And a lot of times there'd be like, you'd get a, a version of a song and it, it just wouldn't sound anything like it. And you just, you know, sing it anyway. Nowadays, it's a lot different. Nowadays, you can get really great versions of, of karaoke songs. But once I had my first kid, Sam, uh, we stopped doing karaoke for the most part for a long time. What felt like forever. And uh, we had Roland in 2014. So Sam was 2012, Roland 2014, Victor 2016. I had gotten to the point where I was working... And that was like my main identity, you know, I'd, being someone who's not really like super skilled in math or science. And, you know, I've got I've got an associate's degree, but it's nothing. Uh, it's an associate's degree. Right. You know, and I ended up falling into more of the customer service side of things and, you know, bouncing from job to job. I worked for seven up for for about five years. I worked at. Uh, Carlton Technologies, which I'm not sure is still there, did customer service and tech, technical work. Um, then I worked for Charter before they were Spectrum. I worked for Teleperformance through AT&T. I worked for Farmers, which I'm back at Farmers, by the way, but worked for Farmers and Insurance for a little while. Uh, worked for Preferred Automotive at their call center. Uh, and I, then I worked for HomeMet. Strangely enough, that was my first real manufacturing job. Worked for them for almost four years just because the pay was so good. Um, of course, I had to take a ton of medication just to be in that place and be a, a, at all productive. I felt like a zombie. And then, then I got laid off during COVID. And when I got laid off for COVID, all of a sudden I had... I did, really didn't have time on my hand. I was getting unemployment, thankfully, because there was an abundance of it at the time, at least, you know, everybody, a lot of people got laid off for COVID and we were getting additional monies, you know, just, just to basically stay home. And obviously during the height of COVID, I wasn't going out, but as we started to kind of see, you know, the, the other side of it, which was, we were coming out of it and we started to, started to, you know, get out a little bit more. And obviously around this time, I've, I found weed as well, which was eye-opening in many ways. It made me realize that I wanted to go out and do karaoke again. And I ended up going out to Rusty Spoke a few times. Rusty Spoke, which is uh, a Muskegon bar near Apple Avenue. Very inclusive bar, at least back then. I'm not sure if it is still now. Hopefully it's still now. Very inclusive, very open. Um... Used to run drag shows, you know. Used to do, uh, and I, maybe they still do. I haven't been out there recently. I've been to other karaoke bars since then. But great big stage, stage area where you could sing. Um, and I re reignited my passion for music there. While I was getting, I would get high and I would sing songs. I would feel connected with the crowd of people. I feel connected with the individuals. When I would get done, I would go around talking to people, something that I hadn't done in a long time. Something that's still hard for me to do, even when I'm not high. <clears throat> and I haven't been high in a while, so I haven't been high since last, last October. And it's, it is hard for me to go around and talk to people. In fact, I'd say generally speaking, 
right now the version of myself that I am, the iteration of myself, I'm usually not super social, even though that is in my my makeup, in my DNA. You know, (laughs) I do like being social. But when you're dealing with anxiety and depression, it's hard to do. But when I get up and do karaoke and sing a song like sing something from Incubus, sing something from uh, what are some of the big ones? Interstate Love Song uh, from uh, sing Wait for It from Hamilton. Wait for it from Hamilton. Those are some of my favorite songs. Hemorrhage by Fuel, which is something that I've been singing forever. I haven't sang it lately. Uh, but the, my least favorite Radiohead song, Creep, because I can do it a certain, I can sing it a certain way that makes it, to me at least, sound not so boring. And karaoke is an expression of my soul, is an expression of the performative aspects of my life. And it allows me to to take songs that have meant a lot to me in, in one way, shape, or form. Because I won't sing a song that doesn't speak to me. I won't sing a song that I can't... If I can't make it my own or it doesn't speak to me, I'm not touching it. That's why you don't see me sing Sweet Caroline, which is something that almost every karaoke bar... Every single night, someone sings Sweet Caroline. And I, I don't have an issue with the song, but I have an issue with it the fact that everybody sings it. And maybe in a way that makes it amazing, but I can't. It's not that fun for me. Now, if you get someone up there who's really into it and you can tell that they love the song, okay, that's cool. Most of the time, Sweet Caroline is a song that a couple drunk people go up there and just kind of badger their way through it. And don't get me wrong, I am not judging those people. <laughs> I just don't personally like it. And I, I, if they want to sing it, that's their prerogative. Cool. Just like just like how basically every time someone sees my name when I go up and sing a song, they'll inevitably at some time in the night, you're going to see a Dixie, a, uh, excuse me, a Dixie chick song. Girl's got to die. Someone's going to sing it probably because they saw my name or maybe they just love that song, I guess. I don't know why it's not a great song, <laughs> but to some people, maybe it is. But karaoke is also kind of a taboo thing for musicians sometimes especially if you're in a band Um, I was in a band for a very short period of time we did some practices we never actually played out anywhere I I feel like my vision for what I wanted to sing and the band's version was a little bit different the band wanted to do a lot of covers you know go out be a bar band like I, I get it I get it that's how bar bands exist right they go out and they play they play the same old stuff right you know they're gonna play some tom petty they're gonna play some clash they're gonna play some you know all these things that people have heard a thousand times a million times and i guess that's what they expect right that's what people expect hey play the hits that's cool man but i find stuff like that really unfulfilling especially from a creative perspective but it's funny a lot of those people a lot of the people that i've talked to that have been in uh, bands tend to have an issue. They look down on karaoke. 
and I guess the reasoning behind it is maybe the band would want to have the ability to play that bar as opposed to having karaoke every Friday or whatever. I think there's a happy media to be, medium to be found. I also think if you're not playing your own music, you don't really have much of a stance on that. If you're just playing the same old stuff every single time, kind of almost think that it might as well be karaoke, right? You just got a band to back you. Now it's cool. Like, yeah, you have to learn, you have to learn the song. You have to learn how to play, you know, silent lucidity if that silent lucidity if that's what you're doing or something from Kiss. That's great. That's fine, but you know, don't don't be like Ugh, karaoke. Why? Because it's inclusive for many people? Why? Because sometimes you have to listen to people that maybe aren't great at singing. So what? That's not the point of karaoke. I mean, if you want to dig into the essence of performing, it's all the same. Whether you get up and sing a song and you're not good at it, or whether you get up there with a five-piece ensemble and you knock it out of the park. Those are the, it's it's performative, right? People getting up there and and not having to worry about the anxiety and just going for it. Not having, not having to worry about the judgments of other people. And, and there are people that judge. I've met plenty of them. I'm usually the first one to point out, hey, at least they're getting up there. In fact, most of the people that complain are usually people that don't even get up. And those people like, yeah, okay, cool. You're going to complain about it, but I don't see you up there doing any better. I'll see you up there. I always, I always try to get people involved in karaoke. This is the, this is probably the the main rating factor that I have for all of the karaoke bars I've ever been to. Um, I've been to the Chamber Bar. Obviously, they don't do karaoke right now. I don't think. I've been to Pub One Eleven. I've been to Jimmy's to do karaoke in Montague. I have been to Rusty Spoken Muskegon. I've been to Naughty's. I've been to my bar recently. I've been to Sporty's in Grand Haven. Uh, where else have I been? Obviously Village Inn before it got destroyed and turned into a weed place. Uh, I, I've been to... Oh, I've been to the... The best place I've ever been to was the karaoke bar. Well, it's not the karaoke bar, but it's in... Oh, I'm blanking on it. It's near Kalamazoo, Battle Creek. It is... There's a bar out there. It's a big venue. Like, they've got a, a big old stage, and it's got, like, speakers that you would have for national acts, and they do karaoke off it, like, every so often, like, every month or so. And, again, I'm blanking it. I'll try to put it in the description what the name of the place is. That's the best place I've ever been to. Because that when you go to do a karaoke, when you go to do karaoke there, it's like going to church, in a way. Um, but, like, a cool church. Like, just something that was quite amazing the time we went there it was me scott and hardia and we just and ken ended up coming out because battle creek is close to kalamazoo and it was just something amazing about getting up there on that huge stage and just like singing the songs that you know you're good at that you know people love and I'm not one, if you've ever done karaoke with me, I'm not one to sing for other people usually. I sing for myself. I sing for myself because I'm trying to, I'm trying to do the best 
I'm trying to do the best job at it that I possibly can. I'm putting more effort into singing karaoke usually than a lot of things in my life. You know, that performative aspect of it. Part of me really wishes I could do things like that, like singing karaoke, like I do a lot of things in my life. Or, just to be clear, I wish I could do a lot of things in my life the way that I sing karaoke. And karaoke does give me some clarity on a lot of things, too. The trouble with me now is I don't have a lot of energy. I'm still recovering from what happened almost two years ago now. I'm still mentally recovering from that. I still have triggered moments. I still have moments of trauma and PTSD from it. You know, from from straight on psychosis. And and I still still every once in a while have issues trying to understand the difference between reality and what is just in my mind. And the the hard thing about being someone who thinks about that stuff all the time is I know reality's already in my mind. <laughs> Reality is my senses, right? And how I perceive the world is through those senses. And it has to be translated into my brain for me to be able to even see the things that are in front of me and touch the things that are in front of me and love the things that are in front of me. So, I guess I'll leave you with this. I'll leave you, excuse me. I'm getting a little tongue-tied tonight. I'll leave you with this. Karaoke is something that's super important to me. Um, if you've never, never done karaoke, try it, try it, come out with me. You'll find that I am the most unjudging person that you will ever find when it comes to singing or, or talking about any sort of viewpoints or perspectives. I've never, I, okay. I won't say I've never judged someone for their opinion or for the way that they've sang. I think the people that I judge the most when it comes to singing is the people that say that they're really good and then they get up there and they're not that good. But but even then, I'm not judging them. I'm just kind of trying to give them perspective. I'm just trying to kind of have them see that maybe, maybe they're a little bit tone deaf. But if they have fun, that's the whole point, right? They have fun and they feel good up there. They'll come and do it again. And maybe when someone else gets up there and sings a song, they'll actually enjoy it and pay attention. And maybe they'll change themselves. Maybe they'll get a little bit better. And bit by bit, they'll develop a repertoire of songs that they really enjoy doing. And then they get they, they geek out when they talk to someone. Hey, I'm going to sing this song. You know, you've never heard me sing this song before, have you? Or maybe I'm going to try something totally new. And not sit back on all the old songs that they used to sing. And try to get out of their, their comfort zone. I've done that definitely more than a few times. Try to sing a song. Whoop. That's a little too high for me. Ooh, that sounds... that It just doesn't sound right. But that's life, right? That's the whole... That's the whole thing. Try a couple different things. Hey, I'm good at that. I'm not good at that. Even in, even in a medium that I'm good at, which is karaoke, there are certainly songs I'm not good at. <laughs> and that's karaoke, right? And in general, that's life. Things we're good at, things we're not. Understanding it. Understanding how we do it. So I hope you've enjoyed me talking about karaoke on the EDK podcast for 35 minutes. I appreciate you listens. If anybody wants to be a guest on the show, please email me at ed 
e.cabala at gmail.com. That's e.cabala at gmail.com. I would like this podcast to include some more music influences and talk about some of the past of Muskegon and I actually want to do a little bit of more a little bit more from a history perspective going forward but I can't do that without guests so if you're listening to this and you say okay well maybe I don't have enough time I can make time for you we can find a time if you want to talk about something when it comes to history of the area and especially music please let me know I am still looking for um, bands to feature on this podcast I was actually in talks with a few of them on Facebook but I think when they saw the name of my podcast again there might be a little bit of a stigma even though of course they don't know how I sing or when I sing or why they just think oh, karaoke I don't want my band featured on a karaoke podcast okay yeah this is a mindfulness podcast technically but whatever anyway I hope you have a great night or day or whatever you're doing I appreciate you. I'll talk to you soon. Earl out.